Hi, I'm Vanessa Anderson. And I'm Stephanie Cooley. It's time to give ourselves a moment to be real, to express all of motherhood. Mothering is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know what? It's fucked up too. Come hang out with us. We're the real motherfuckers. In one of our episodes, Vacation Without Kids, Vanessa and I chat about a recent yoga retreat. It was peaceful, healing, relaxing, and not to be cheesy, but I'll say it anyway, it was life-changing. While the retreat is in the past, we are still reaping the benefits today. This was my second year going to Mudra retreats, and they did not disappoint. Everyone involved just gets it. They think of every detail. The sleepy, calm, and serene beachfront hotel. The food was beautifully presented and delicious. Oh yes, I miss their hibiscus tea. Our yoga teacher was a true inspiration. Each class with her taught me something different and expanded my curiosity with movement and with mindfulness. Reach out to us on Instagram, Real Motherfuckers Podcast, if you have questions on the retreat and we're happy to answer them for you. Yes, go to www.mudraretreats.com and use our link, RMFP, when you check out to support us. Okay, so I'm going to start this off a little bit deep. Um, in late 2018, my sister came home from work and witnessed her husband die right in front of her. Um, it was an awful day. I remember that morning so very clearly. And, you know, my sister lost a lot that, that day, those weeks, those months, those years. But the thing that she did gain, which I didn't realize there was this huge community, but she gained a group of like a community of sisters, widows. And um, we talk a lot in this podcast about having uh, a village of having support because moms can't freaking do it by themselves. And um, I was really in awe of this like connection, this village that my sister gained of widow sisters. I think you guys call it Wisters. Some, um, some people do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am in awe of our guest, Anita, who has um, talked a lot on her podcast called What Do We Do Now? I love the name. Um, <laughs> on her Instagram called Racing from the Ashes, just about how you live about, you know, this, we're obviously going to talk about um, the death of your husband, but we, I also just want to talk to you about what you do as you move forward, as you live, as you raise four kids. Um, so anyway, my sister connected us to you. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to start with saying that um, you are so much more than just a widow. You have done, you you have accomplished a lot, and I cannot okay. wait to talk to you about that. So um, welcome our guest, Anita Coyle. Yes, thank you for being on. Um, and we really appreciate you being on for, this is our take two with Anita. The, a lot of circumstances happened where we weren't able to do it the first time, but we are able to do it with her now. Yeah, my car wouldn't start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's life. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be fun, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start with um, a description that you have on your Instagram, which really caught me. It says, um, my world crumbled and then the rubble caught fire. Hmm. Um, and I would love for you to tell us just how your story began. It is a very 
a complicated story. I think it has to do with your husband, how he was physically, and also you had a physical issue as well. So maybe can you just back up and just tell our audience um, what had happened, I think, a few years ago in 2018 or 19? Yeah, 2019. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll we'll back it up. Uh, we yeah. lived like a really normal life, I feel like, although we mm -hmm. did have four kids and four kids is a circus no matter what, right? That's just, mm. it's just too many kids. No matter how many kids you have, it's too many kids. <laughs> that's my, that's my yeah. motto. You can have one, it's too many. Zero is too many. Anyway, um, Jason and I met when I was really young. We got married young. We had a great life. Uh, when we started having kids, Jason went back to swimming. He used to be a high school swimmer and he wanted to get back in shape. And so he started swimming with the masters and he did that all the time. And then he started swimming these marathon swims, which are like anything over than six miles is a marathon swim. So he would get in the water and swim across a lake. Okay. I mean, wow. just kind of like a crazy person. Um, so yeah. that was kind of Jason, <laughs> Jason's backstory. Yeah, and then I did a lot of physical activity too, um, mostly triathlons. But in January of 2019, I had to have surgery because I had a mass on my thyroid. They told me it was benign. Everything was good. So I went in and had that surgery. The next day, Jason went swimming in the evening. And he usually went in the mornings, but he couldn't because he was with me at the hospital. So kind of him, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he went swimming um, I was putting our kids to bed. He came into the bedroom. I was snuggling with our two-year-old at the time and he leaned forward and told me he loved me and my neck was sore because I just had it cut open and I touched my fingers to my lips and then to his lips and told him I loved him and he left. And I sent him a text. I was like, everybody went to bed so well tonight. It was real weird. That doesn't ever happen. And about mm -hmm. 9.30, a police officer came to my door and I was like, oh, silly Jason. <laughs> He fell down and needed stitches, you know, but mm -hmm. in hindsight, like the police don't come to your house when somebody needs mm -hmm. stitches, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. I just, I just had no, no conceptualization that that was going to be the outcome. So I got myself in the car. I should not have been driving. I was not in good shape. And I drove to the hospital where they, they told me that he had just basically dropped, dropped dead. And I wow. just was like what you know i i just remember breathing into my hands and not being able to figure out what was going on and i would have run away i i had the <laughs> distinct urge to like get up and run out of the building but i didn't mm -hmm. so yeah um yeah and i knew what had happened um just from some clues that something had happened with his heart so he um ended up having just a fatal um, cardiac arrhythmia. It's like when you hear about marathon runners who are really healthy, but they just drop dead because their heart starts beating the wrong way. That's what happened to him. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I went home that night and waited through the whole night to tell my kids. And that's the worst thing oh I've gosh. ever had to do in my entire life is sit my kids down. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they went to bed and life was fine. Mm -hmm. And then they woke up to a living room full of people. Um, oh just gosh. like, yeah. mom. Yeah. So my kids were 12, 8, 5, and 2 at the time, which is like seared into my memory. Ask me how old they are now. I have no idea. But they were 12, 8, 5, <laughs> and 2 <laughs> when this happened. 
so then it was just trying to wrap my head around what what life was gonna be what it meant like how could this be my reality it just made no sense yeah. like what oh my god so that's a hit you in know, the face <laughs> yeah that was... and he hit in every part of you my god that's honestly any that's my worst fear and i know that if that's my worst fear, I have attachment issues to my husband, which I realize, and I'm trying to, of course you, know, you do, which we all do because we love, you know, them. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that, you know, the rest of your story, people are going to be mind blown like I have been. But when you had that, the news, I mean, who was the first person you called when you were in the hospital all right after losing the most, one of the most important people in your life, who was the first person you called? And then how did you even real, like, in your mind think, okay, this is how I'm going to tell my kids. This is who's going to be here. How did you choose that moment? My goodness. Well, luckily, luckily in quotation marks, when I was driving to the hospital, I called my mom and I just said, you know, the hospital, I'm going to the hospital. Something's happened to Jason. And she said, oh, I'm going to come to the hospital. And I said, oh no, mom, you don't need to come. You know, I was like, that's so silly. Everything's going to be fine. But I'm so thankful that she, she showed up because I didn't have to call anybody. She just showed up in the conference room somehow. Um, they must have told her where we were. And I, re- I will always remember the noise she made when they opened the door to let her in. And I just said, Jason died. And she just made this little gaspy, squeaky noise. And uh, it was a, that was terrible. So then uh, people just started showing up. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how, how yeah. that hey. happened. So you have... At the time, a 12, 8, 5, and 2-year-old, everybody grieves in vastly different ways. And I, I'm just thinking about, like, how each child, I mean, they must have grieved in such and processed. crazy different ways. Yeah, and processed what had just yeah. happened, too. Yeah. Um, that's, a whole, that's a whole other topic that we could spend a really long time talking about because they're still processing it because kids do it differently mm-hmm. than we do. And I, Mm -hmm. what I would request of them is if we could all just get on the same page and grieve at the same time, that'd be real great. You know, like if we could all be sad at once and then I'll be happy at once, that'd be perfect. But that is not how it works. I mean, the, the oldest ones had a concept of what death meant. The youngest ones didn't have a concept of what death meant. So, um, the, it's like, I'm kind of guiding two different groups through it you know one who understands death one who doesn't and as they've gotten older of course they understand more and more and the youngest ones don't have great a lot of great memories you know a lot of their memories are ones that other people have told to them um it's memories of pictures you know things like that and then the older ones have more memories but it's also more painful for them so yeah, it's a real, it's a, it's a real disaster of a nightmare. So I, I wrote down something you had said, um, grief is sure weird. Things are stored unconsciously in your body. Yeah, this is, this is a true statement. Um, we interact with a lot of people who have experienced loss and it's super weird that in the days or months coming up to a big day, you'll have feelings in your body and even you'll just feel different um and then you'll go oh yeah that's because this was the day that this happened or and you don't even have to be conscious of it it's really stored somehow in the cells of your body um some of those awful terrible things and for me i didn't i mean i had like a very abrupt death so 
it doesn't happen for like when he got a cancer diagnosis or, you know, some of the things that some Mm -hmm. other widows might experience like that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how you don't even have to be thinking about that and your body knows what's going on. It's real bizarre. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a, everything's heightened, right? I mean, you are like stressed out, you are sad. So there's all these different vibrations in your body that's happening Mm -hmm. when you're grieving. I mean, you have your ups and your downs, you have your anger, you have your stress, you have your, you know, your sadness, you know, then you go back to maybe trying to find feelings of happiness for, you know, what you were grateful of having. It's just, if we lose something, it means it was wonderful. You know what I mean? So that's a hard thing to, to put your mind around my God. I'm okay. There's a lot to unpack here because uh, you're also dealing <laughs> I know with, <laughs> I know you're also dealing with your own health. Oh yeah. We need to get back. Yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. only so, a day after or day yeah, of, right? The day I mean, before. Yeah. So in my, my tagline that you, you um, said the collapsing of my life was when Jason died, my world collapsed. And then a week after his funeral, I got a phone call from the surgeon who had um, done the surgery on my thyroid and he asked me to come into his office and I work in healthcare mm. and I know that they don't call you just to chat and it had taken a really long time for them to call me so I knew it wasn't going to be good so I went in and I met with the doctor and it was <laughs> I actually had had my follow-up with him uh, but the biopsy results weren't back and it was so bizarre because you know he had seen me the day before everything was fine I'm at my follow-up and like my world had exploded and he was like, what is going on? I'm like, my husband died yesterday. And he was like, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was, that was funny. But anyway, the pathology results had come back and it turned out that what they told me was not cancerous turned out to be cancerous. So that's when I felt like the rubble had caught fire. Um, Just, you gotta be kidding me, right? So I really needed to talk to Jason about this. Like, here's my options. What am I going to do? How are we going to deal with this? Um, You know, should we go for the nuclear option? Should we go for the more conservative option? You know, everything was just, and my brain, your brain does not work. We call it widow brain. It's like stuffing cotton balls into your head and then asking you to do like calculus. And it just wasn't working. So that's how I started my widowhood, my widowhood journey was also trying to figure out a cancer diagnosis. So yeah, real fun. Oh my God. And what, what do you mind me asking what stage you were? I mean, what stage cancer they had diagnosed you? Yeah. So that's a tricky question. Um, and that's why they had my pathology. Um, it took so long because this is, this is technical, but Um, when they stage it, they want to see if there's vascular, um, incursion into the capsule of the, of the mass. And there was some discussion about whether it had made it through the capsule or it hadn't. So basically what they said was, we're not sure. (laughs) We think that, that there is, but we're not sure. And, um, we don't know if it's anywhere else in you. So that's why it was like, Oh, oh my God, you, know, you want answers. I know, I know, I know <laughs> no answers. And Dude. the whole, the whole cancer process for me has just been wait and see. Um, I decided to mm-hmm. treat it conservatively and it's just been going back and seeing, you know, is it okay? Is it anywhere else? Are we fine? And so yeah. far it's been fine. So 
Keep your fingers wow. crossed. Yeah, that it stays that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> yeah, you the way that you, the fact that you're the way you hand, have handled it, and the way that you're even handling it, talking about it right now, I'm just so impressed. I I, I just am, and I know you have a podcast and you guys talk about you know, this subject a lot. And I, but it just shows me how much work you have done in your life. And I know it's a continuous maintenance to handle grief. It's not something that you just say, Oh, I fixed it. It's in a bottle. I feel yeah. like it's something that's an ongoing, you know, uh, process. And it's, it's a maintenance, just like we maintain our body, you maintain your spirit, you maintain your feelings and your mind. Is, is there, what is it that you do or that you've done or maybe we can even rewind. What's the first thing you started doing to, um, I hate using the word deal, but facing your grief. When you started facing your grief, what was that first step where you're like, okay, I'm going to face this and I'm going to start healing. Do you remember feeling that moment and what you thought and what you did? Um, that's a good question. And I will just say that when you're complimenting me and saying how impressed you are, it was a shit show for a, a long time. Oh, I and bet I, it was. I might say it still is. Like, so yeah. I mean, don't, don't think it was sunshine and roses. And I was like, I am dealing with this so great and we are doing so well mm -hmm. and I'm perfect at this. It was, it's been, it's been a lot of um, making mistakes and being mm -hmm. bad at it. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a pretty process. But the, the mm -hmm. thing that has been really helpful to me is a few weeks after Jason died, I just had to get out of my house and I went running, which is something that I did before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was part of my go-to. I, I ran when Jason was alive and I biked and I swam because it, I said that it, <laughs> I was going to go run the crazy out um, because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean if I don't get some of that energy out. So I went running and I remember just breathing in the cold air. It was January. I live in Utah. So, you know, it's winter. And I was like, I just felt alive for the first time. And I kept doing that and I kept doing that. And soon I realized that was the only time that I felt any sort of happiness or any sort of positivity was when I was out running or biking I hadn't gone back swimming yet um but I just decided that that's what was gonna that's what was gonna get me through it um so I made that mm -hmm. a really big priority in my life and mm -hmm. another part of my story was that before Jason had died I had found this race that I wanted to do a triathlon and I wanted to qualify for the world championships of this particular race series and we had decided that it was going to be this year that we would do it. We were going to save our money. It's in Hawaii. We were going to, you know, dedicate some time to it. And then Jason died. And it was like, you know, slam on the brakes. That's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. And it started to kind of creep into my mind that maybe I should still try. And a lot of people yeah. told me that was a bad idea. They were like, listen, you know, your life just exploded. Maybe this isn't what you need to focus on. And I am so glad that I did it. Um, it gave me purpose and it gave me something that made me feel alive as opposed to just existing. Mm -hmm. Um, for a long time, I felt like I just existed. I would just wake mm -hmm. up and I would do what needed to be done. And every moment of every day I was thinking, Jason died, Jason died, Jason died, Jason died. I'm a widow. I'm a widow. I'm a widow. That's the only thing that went through my head. And it was only when I was out doing something physical that those thoughts kind of calmed. 
and I could think about other things. So um, I did it. I qualified for that race. I went. It was a really great experience. It did not fix a single thing. <laughs> like People are yeah. like, oh, you met your goal, so everything's fine now. And that's not the case. But the mm. next year was the pandemic, mm -hmm. so it didn't happen the next year. So I wouldn't have had the chance the next year. So I'm glad. I'm glad that I did it and didn't listen to yeah. all of the people telling me it was a bad idea. I mean, thank God that you had this already in you. This was part of you before mm -hmm. this so that it like you, you know, a lot of people figure out those things in the grief process, I'm assuming, but it's so great that you already had this and that was something you could just go to and it felt like home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, and if it's also something you did with your husband, mm -hmm. it's almost like a connection to him even though he's not there, that's the experience you guys shared. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I have similar with my husband. We like to work out together when we can. And it's, it is cool. And there, and you do, you're together, but you are in your zone, but that was something you shared. So it's, does it feel sometimes like you're, you know, you're not with him and you're escaping. I get that part, but do you kind of even feel closer to him sometimes when you do do that? It's really interesting that you ask that because it only took about a month before I went back swimming and I was swimming in the exact same place, like in this same water that he died in. Mm. And people mm -hmm. are really confused about that. Sometimes they just think, how can you go back to the scene and not just fall apart? And it was hard the first couple times I did it. I had to really walk myself through it mentally, but I feel really close to him there now because that's the thing that he mm -hmm. loved to do. He loved to just swim back and forth like a silly little fish. And so I go mm -hmm. there and I feel a connection to him. And I often like imagine conversations that we would have um, while I'm swimming. Cause swimming is the only time where you have no outside. You can't listen to a podcast, you know, unless you have special right. headphones, but I don't do that. You know, it's the only time where yeah. it's completely quiet and all you can hear is just like of the water. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time kind of communing with him in a strange way while I'm swimming. And sometimes when I'm biking, we did a lot of biking together, too. But he hated to run. He thought it was stupid. So no, no to that one. <laughs> I'm just thinking about all the training that you do and... It takes time away from um, being a mom. Yeah. And obviously, we fully condone taking time from being a mom. Um, but, you know, how do you do it? You have the four kids and you have, do you have help? Do you, and also, how do you live your life with knowing that, like, only so much can be done? What gets done and what do you choose not to get done because a lot of times we just have to choose and we have to be okay with it. Can you talk about that? Oh yeah. Oh, so much stuff. People always ask me, they're like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, I don't come look don't. at my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what doesn't get done? The chores like, oh, I, yeah, it actually drives me crazy that my house is as messy as it is, but that's, that's the, you know, that's the trade-off that I'm willing to make. Um, in the mm -hmm. beginning, we actually had a family meeting um, and I talked to my family about what was important to me. And I can't believe that I had the insight to do this. I don't understand where this came from, but I just explained to them how important it was for my mental health that I got to go running or biking during the day, that it was more important than a lot of other things. And so I was going to mm -hmm. ask for help for that. I was going to ask them to babysit for me to go on a bike ride. And I needed them not to judge that because a lot of people 
want to help you, but they only want to help you on their terms. Like, I, mm. you have to go grocery shopping, so I will watch your kids when you go grocery shopping. And I was saying, well, I actually want you to watch my kids when I go for a bike ride, and I will take my kids grocery shopping with me. You know, like, that's where mm -hmm. I want my help to be. And everybody's been really good. I have lots of neighbors, especially that first year, and when my kids were so little, that would let them come play. And I would go, I mean, I would have, like, days where I would be out riding for four or five hours and they would just take them and have a little activity with them. Now that they're getting older, I don't have to beg, borrow and steal so much to get help like that. But, <laughs> and in the beginning it was also like, okay, this is what my day looks like. I can go for a run between four and five thirty PM today. And tomorrow it's going to be from noon to twelve forty-five. You know, every day was just a different day of trying to fit it in somewhere. Um, so yeah, but I don't do a lot of things. So don't, don't think that it's all looking good <laughs> over here. I love that you, I love that you did this, like, let's get this straight. Let's talk about what our priorities are. And, um, it's really healthy for, you know, to tell your family and tell your friends, like, this is what, it, this is what heals me. This is what does it for me. This is like the thing that keeps me going. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about, too, is you talked about going to that race in Hawaii. Um, did your kids go with you? And what do you do when you travel? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I yeah, because you have four kids, because I'm imagining the, the, yeah. the logistics of this, right? Like, hi, friend, yeah. can you take care of 15 children for me <laughs> while I'm gone for three days? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. tell us how yeah. that goes. It's Yeah. OK, well. Specifically to Hawaii, I took the two oldest because I thought they could kind of manage their own needs a little bit better since I would be very busy. Um, nowadays, when we travel, if I'm traveling with my kids, I have a shirt that says, be nice, my husband is dead, that I wear to the airport <laughs> as we try to go through TSA. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, It's hard to try and manage four kids pulling out their, you know, their little iPads and their all of that yeah. crap is just like, uh. but um, pro tip, if you're a parent, get pre-check from TSA because then if they're young enough, you don't have to pull out all their crap. Like best $65 yes. I ever spent. So um, <laughs> if I need to travel now, which I do um, a lot without my kids, it is a whole system. I farm them out to four different families and there's like a schedule and it's, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, like a military campaign where you have to, you know, this kid's going here at this time and I'm going to give you their schedule and you're going to take them and I'm going to pack their bag for them and they're not going to wear any of the underwear I packed for them, but here it is. And you know, <laughs> they go for, for to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what I always yeah. say. So. That's what I pictured happening yeah. or having two go with one family and another two, the other yeah. two going with another family, but you split it up in fourths. Yeah. Or you send well, all four kids have... to one family and then you're not friends anymore after that. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are hard too. I have some high energy crazies and so they're, it's getting easier, but yeah, yeah, that's how it works right now. That's awesome. I love that. I love that you did not let go or compromise with what works for you to heal and just to give yourself your time as a human being. You're not just all consumed with others' needs because I'm a firm believer if you don't need meet your needs, you're not going to meet anybody else's needs. Oh, so I think true. it's great that you're you're still going strong with what makes you feel good and in turn you're probably a better mom can guarantee it yeah i hope so because i'm really mean when i have not 
gotten out the crazies, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so I was looking at your Instagram and I am still in awe of the triathlete, um, just the whole concept of being a triathlete, because, you know, it does take so much time and you have to eat a certain way and, you know, do certain things to get your body ready. I mean, that's another layer of time. Do your children eat what you eat? If you do have this special, you know, health regimen that you um, prepare for yourself. And are they part of your like racing life? I know. Yeah. Um, my kids eat McDonald's like for every meal. That's, uh, that's the health yes. regimen <laughs> yes. that yes. we do. That's another thing that's fallen. That's one of the things that I don't do as well as I used to. I used to cook. I used to love to mm -hmm. make fun new things. And now it's just a battle that I don't want to fight. So we are on the kid diet, mac and cheese here. You know, I try and eat a little better, but I'm also terrible about it. So, yeah, that's another thank, thing. That's, thank yeah. you for telling us the real real, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like know. those are the those are the big things that a lot of moms don't want to admit that their house is fucked up and their their kids eat like shit. Yeah, <laughs> <Yep>. you know. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. And I'm sorry, like that happens in so many households, and it's okay. Yeah, your yeah. kids are freaking resilient. You know, like the fact that like, you know, your kids are going off to different houses. Your kids are eating. Like, they're still coming back, and they're alive, and they're 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 having a great time with you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the the thing that I like about your um, Instagram, it's called racing from the ashes is that like, you just have little snippets of like, reality, there's no like, there's no pretty pictures, there's no like, it's just like little daily journals is what I see it as. Um, yeah. And what's the process that for, for you for that? Because personally, when I do the Instagram, I feel like I'm like, so consumed and like, I have to do something like, meaningful, or, you know, like, do you just like, write from the from your from your thoughts and like, don't even filter it. Like, I'd love to hear your process of how you do that. And like, I've seen that a lot of people have like really gravitated toward just like you just sharing the reality of your daily life. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of taken a little bit of a journey also. Um, Jason mm -hmm. was a school teacher. And so he was home during the summer and the summers were the best. I would pick up a few extra shifts to work. Um, and we would just travel and go camping and we were poor, so we never went anywhere cool, but you know, we would just do fun things, always mm -hmm. fun things together, spent a lot of time as a family. Well, the summer was coming and I was terrified. I was honestly terrified that I was going to have to spend 24 hours, seven days a week with my kids. There was no cavalry coming. There was no backup. There was nobody to take mm -hmm. them away when I needed a break. So mm. I was just terrified. Well, the second day of summer break, my youngest fell in the bathtub and cut his chin open and we had to go get stitches. And I was just oh like, God. this is so ridiculous. This is just so ridiculous. And then the next day he wandered away and got lost and we had to call the police. Oh my God. Okay. Oh my, and the God. Oh my God. God. <laughs> God, and can the I just... <laughs> And the police, when we found him, he was a few blocks away. The police found him and the police officer says, I notice he has stitches on his chin. And I was just like, handcuff me now and take me away. You know, like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, if you even knew what was happening, oh you would God. just like give me an ice cream cone and send me on my way. I mean, it, it was nothing, but 
But anyway, I just felt so like, how in the world are we supposed to do this? So that night I wrote about what had happened, but I wrote about it like I was a researcher who'd been dropped into an unknown tribe of people. And I was just observing <laughs> what was happening. So that's yes, how it started. That's that. totally how the, the tone is of all your posts pieces yeah. or your posts. I call my kids the subjects. People are always like, are you their queen? And I'm like, no, I'm just like watching them and wondering what is going on in those minds because it's real weird. It's just weird. So that's how I started writing. And I just started writing every day what had happened as if I was just, it was like a research log. This is what happened. This is what happened. And in the beginning, it's, it's kind of funny. I've had these fits and starts where I thought this is so like, why am I doing this? It's so stupid. Mm -hmm. But I go mm -hmm. back and I read through them and I'm like, I, wow, this is actually really cool because in the beginning it was very grief based. Everything was grief. It was Jason died. This is, you know, we're sad. We're not making it. This is terrible. This is the worst. And as time has progressed, it became less and less about grief and more and more about just regular life and less mm -hmm. and less about sadness and more and more about living and and you can see the first time mm -hmm. that I took my kids on a vacation by myself and it was scary and my kid lit something on fire in the cabin of a bunkhouse in, a, in the middle of a forest somewhere I mean it's just like it it hasn't it happened the same all one once. that ran away <laughs> yes was it the same one that ran away? <laughs> oh yes yep and I had to go tell the people that I'd lit their thing on fire and they were so nice about it. And But I was like, I can never do this by myself. And little by little, I've dipped my toe into the, yes, we're going to do this. And then we've succeeded. Maybe like not all the way because you're not supposed to light the forest on fire. But, you know, it was like a 90% succeed. And then we tried yeah. again and we've tried it again and we tried again. And we're doing like better than I thought mm -hmm. we would ever. So it's been wow. fun to kind of see how we've progressed it has changed a little bit i find it harder to write now because i feel like it's more boring as my kids are older i'm like they fight with each other all day long and i hate it and then we ate mcdonald's you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not as fun <laughs> and the other thing that I've, I've had to come to terms with is the privacy of my kids you know like yeah. they're young mm -hmm. enough that they i don't know how they'll feel about that as they get older so uh, my daughter's old enough that she can tell me it's okay. I try mm -hmm. never to post anything that would embarrass them. Like if, mm -hmm. if somebody does something that's bad, I, I try not to say which one it was. I'll just say one of them did such and such a thing. Um, I also mm -hmm. don't use their names, you know, so there, I've tried to kind of protect their privacy, yeah. but that's something also that's a little bit tricky in this day and age to kind of navigate. So I think yeah. everyone's trying to figure that out They're for yeah. themselves and their own families. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when we post something and it's your child, it's like, you know, you like you were just saying that you don't really have their consent and no. it is their little yeah. story out there. Yeah. So there's that fine line that we all have okay. never had to deal with. I have another question is you work mm -hmm. on top of doing five billion things. Um, when your husband died, did you have to readjust your finances and oh. you know, yeah like how, how, tell us about that mm -hmm. so I'm super lucky because I only work part-time so I am mm -hmm. there are so many other people who widowhood puts them in dire financial circumstances and mm -hmm. it's so hard and and they probably look at me going for a run every day and think that's the stupidest thing I could never do that because like I just don't have as, enough hours in the day and I totally see 
that. So I'm super lucky, luck, lucky and privileged in that way. Um, that was one of the first things that I tried to wrap my head around when Jason died was like, how are we going to survive financially? And I was really thankful because I have a job. I have a really highly marketable skill. I'm a physical therapist. So I have a lot of um, flexibility and the ability to get a job and to make enough money to pay for things. Um, so that's been good. Jason had a little bit of life insurance that let us pay off our house. So that really decreased the stress uh, to, you know, have to pay for, for that. So we've been able to manage it that way. Um, we are, I would say that um, financially we're fairly similar to how we were before. So, which okay. maybe it was a good thing that he was a teacher and I didn't ever get like really addicted to yacht trips or, you know, <laughs> first yeah. class, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a big stressor though. And to, not even about how much money you make, but to be the sole decision maker on finances, it's probably a bad idea that they put me in charge of that because I use a technique called budgeting by hope. And it's, I hope I have enough money. <laughs> yes. Man, no, you know, that was a good question. Is there, is there anything, you know, for families out there that you would, you know, recommend financially to be prepared besides life insurance? Is there anything that you would suggest for a families to prepare if something like this would happen? Mm -hmm. Oh, because a lot of Not people don't think nobody. this is going to happen. And yeah. yeah, nobody does. Nobody thinks mm -hmm. it's going to happen. You might like get scared about it and have, you know, like you said, it's your worst fear, but I, it's your worst fear. Mm -hmm. But what have you done to prepare for it? Probably nothing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, besides financially, like, no, you should get life insurance. Everybody should have life insurance. There's this weird thought that only men need not only men need life insurance because women aren't the primary breadwinner, and that's just the stupidest thing. So both of you should mm -hmm. have insurance. Get it while you're young. Get it while it's cheap. Um, there's mm -hmm. so many other things like so many women we talk to or men, um, they don't they don't know the passwords to the AT and T account or the bank account, yeah. or they don't know where their 401k is invested, or you know, the biggest tip I can give you, the most important thing is that your somebody, your spouse, your mom, somebody should know the current password to your phone because mm -hmm. it is such a secondary loss. It happens all of the time, all of the time that you can get in with face ID or with a thumbprint, but when that phone updates or resets, you need the password. And if you can't get in, Apple is not going to open it for you unless you have a court order. doesn't matter how sad you are. Our phones are now an extension of our lives. They have mm -hmm. photos. They have journals. They have notes. They have passwords saved in them. That's like, you should, like, right this second, you should pause and you should tell your spouse what your password. They should know the PIN number to your phone. That mm -hmm. will make life so much better if the worst case scenario oh my god i'm just imagining yeah. all these grieving people Having dealing deal with, with that. the fucking password on the phone yeah. and it's such a simple thing me and my husband's mm -hmm. made ours universal when we got our phones yeah so that we know what does that it, mean universal yeah. it means it's the same oh okay mm -hmm. That's smart <laughs> yeah yeah cool. it's <laughs> it's heartbreaking it's a comment that comes up on the widow um forums all the time does anybody know how mm -hmm. i can get into this phone and the answer is no I mean, no, there's some can't. ways you can get into it if you've got a if you've got it um, like the last saved backup on your computer and things like that. But 
you have to know the password to their uh, Apple account if you want to get into that. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. it's so hard. Yeah, and I think along the same lines, it's you know, do you have? I know I ask parents when we're young, you know, and we have our kids and you get your house and you're kind of overwhelmed doing all these first big adult stuff when you finally purchase your home and then you start your family that, you know, setting aside your, you know, having an actual active will, living will for what you personally want. If something happens to you, um, from, you know, how you want your services to be to, you know, where you would like your life insurance to go if possible. And you, like you said, all the passwords, all the information, I mean, I did that when my second child was born and I think he was already three and I was thinking, man, is this already too late? I mean, at least I got it done, but I know a lot of my friends don't have that. They don't have an active living will saying, you know, this is how I would like if something happens to me, this is who I want in charge of this situation to assist my husband, you know, to actually have your words said Mm -hmm. instead of people wondering what you would have wanted. Mm because mm-hmm. yeah, we don't absolutely. do that it's like we don't have sometimes you just don't have time you just don't effing have time to be like i'm gonna sit down and make a legal document yeah you anita know? i'm curious <laughs> as you know you've talked to a lot of widows how many of them what percentage do you think have had that ready versus not mm, no, no not very many even yeah, yeah. what's mm-hmm. what's really funny and people assume this and i assumed this too is that if you have a sudden death you didn't have a chance to do that so if you weren't prepared before you weren't prepared But Mm -hmm. even when people Mm -hmm. die of cancer or a long-term illness, often they don't have it either because Mm. they don't still don't talk about death, even though they're looking death right in the face. It's happening right now in my own family where I have a sister who's very sick and it's like, we have to deal with the possibility that you're going to die and we need to, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so awkward because it It signals to people that you're giving up on them, you know, and we have this really weird morality not morality, but we have made it a, like a, a moral thing, how hard you fight cancer. You know, like if you mm-hmm. lose your battle, then you didn't fight hard enough. And it's just like, no, we're all going to die. Uh, so let's yeah. not make it like you didn't do enough to stay alive. Let's take that out of the equation and just talk about it. And it's hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah, death is such a stigma. There's a book, um, it's, an, it's anthroposophical, which is, non-religious like spiritual kind of um how can i put it it's like it's like a spiritual practice i would say and there's a book called death and dying and they were just saying how removed we are from death how we used to have and host our own funeral services and prepare our own families at our own homes and really deal with it and even you know make their own coffins and bury them ourselves to you know not having any attachment to it at all and seeing them already done. You know what I mean? The way the Mm -hmm. modern funeral is now is so impersonal in a way, Mm -hmm. and it's more business sense than it is your own. And you know, that kind of going another step is people don't know the rights they have when somebody passes away. Like you have the right to actually have a funeral at your own home. You actually have the right to do a lot of these things. And we, when we, when people grieve, we, like you were saying earlier, Anita, you do have all those cotton balls in your head. So you're not thinking of those things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I learned from that book and other people's experiences. And now yours, that when you do have that preparation, like I have mine, like I want to have a wake at my house 24 hours after I pass. If it's, if I, if I am okay, like if it's not a tragedy where my body is not you know, obviously no one wants to see it. I wouldn't have that, but 
yeah, I have that. Like I want to have a wake at my own home in my own bed. And there's ways you can do that. And you know, there's steps and processes that you can, you can do. And a lot of people do not know the rights they have for that. They think we automatically have to be shipped off. It's circumstantial though, you know, cases, you know, obviously people think it's a homicide, you know, there's a different circumstance to it, but you still have the right to do what you want. I think that a lot of people also think that it's like such a time consuming task. It's like you, you look for one of these people who put a trust and will together. It is, I remember going through that process with my husband and talking to this lawyer about all these decisions that we would have, you know, like, what would we want if this scenario happened? And I'm like sitting there thinking fully healthy, fully alive, being like, this is hard to deal with right now. Exactly. Like, can you exactly. imagine having your no. your family members deal with this after you're dying and while they're grieving? It's no. like, It's yeah. a gift to those who you love to have a plan. Yeah. And also, if you want to do, you know, if you want to resuscitate yourself or not, there's so many aspects. And you know this, Anita, being in the medical profession, there's so many rights that you have if you're hooked up to machine, if you want to be resuscitated or not. And to take that obligation and responsibility away from your family is the, I think it's a gift Mm -hmm. to not put that on them to make the decision. And those, you know, very trivial times when they're already at their heightened, you know, stress level and grief. So I think if anyone listening has not done that, it's, I think it's a gift you'll give to your family to have that all figured out. So if you do pass, they can actually feel it and go through the motions without having to do the business aspect of it, which is so crappy. You know what? For Christmas next year, you could just tell everybody, you're welcome. This is my (laughs) gift to you. I made my will. Exactly. (laughs) You guys, my grandma once bought everybody in the family cemetery plots for Christmas. No lie. Oh, shit. Good for her. Yeah. Everybody was like, Those things what? went up in value. They did. That's she was like using it as an investment, but it's kind of funny. So that two things funny. that I want to say. One is that yes, I experienced that. Jason and I had talked very little about death, and I hadn't really ever really thought through it. And when no. it came time to make decisions, I buried him because I had five days to figure out what I was gonna do. And in hindsight, I was like, I'm not sure I, I might have cremated him had I thought about it for longer but you're you're in this time crunched situation where you have to make decisions and Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what it is and so if you think about it beforehand Mm -hmm. then it's you know not as not as hard to make those decisions and we never had that conversation in particular and to your point about you know your different rights different municipalities have different um different laws and so you need to figure mm-hmm. out what it is for you you know some some places will allow you to be buried in um like a wicker basket and decompose and some won't and so you just have to check into what yeah. what is allowed mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. where you live and the other tip i'll give you is when you go to a funeral if you go to a family member's or a friend's funeral grandpa dies use that as a springboard to talk to people about what you want Um, And let it open up the conversation. We find that a lot of conversations happen around another person's funeral because then Mm -hmm. you say, I would rather be cremated than buried. And I would like to be aquamated, which nobody even knows what that is until, you know, you think about it. Or I would like to be put in a rocket ship and sent into the outer space, which is also (laughs) something that's happening these days. So, and it can go, you know, further than that Mm -hmm. with, I want you to get reburied. I don't want you to get remarried. This is what I want for our kids. 
lots of conversations that can be springboarded from from going to a funeral. Yes, you're absolutely right. That's when my wheel started turning, I think, is when it was the one of the last funerals I had gone to. And I realized I don't have my stuff together. And I mean, we did have life insurance, but it was no plan. Like, what Mm -hmm. do I want when I pass, Mm -hmm. you know, and having that conversation with my husband, like, yes, of course, I know if I pass young, you know, that you would maybe, you know, find a partner, you know, and I hope you would, but just give him, you know, I told him the resume of who would qualify to fill my position. (laughs) (laughs) But like, look, motherfucker, they can't have this, this, and this. And, uh, I still have to be the best person you ever slept with. So they kind of have to suck just a little bit. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I have, I have a question and it is, are you sick and tired of talking about death? Mm, sometimes I'm annoyed that I'm in this position to be an expert. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I alluded to what something, you know, some things going on in my extended family right now. And it's like, it's like, I know what to do in this situation. I'm going to be the one to do it. And I'm like, I'm so thankful mm-hmm. that I have that experience. But then sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't have this experience. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I wish I wasn't the one yeah. to know what to do, yeah. even though I still don't know what to do. Even if you've experienced yeah. a death, you still don't know what to say to people when they've experienced loss. You're still like, Bleh, you know. So mm-hmm. it doesn't make you like perfect in any way. So, well, I, I, I think, yeah, the, the, no matter what we experience in life, it, we, there's still something like and you are a lifetime girl of having a lot of lessons thrown at you before you're even in middle life, like 55 plus. I'm like, man, you have lived through a lot. I had a me sparking, you know, me putting the resume for my husband's future wife if I pass. Do you, do you, do you, have you dated? Do you feel like you ever will? I mean, that's a big step in being a widow seems to be, you know, that whole like, okay, am I ready to do this with my four kids? Am I ready to do this? And, you know, there's never going to be a replacement for your husband ever. And, but it has that crossed your mind. Have you gone there? Oh, this is, this is like the hottest topic of widow goss <laughs> ever. So here, here we are. Um, it's so funny because this is the question people ask you. They say, how are you doing? How are your kids doing? Are you dating? That's like, everybody wants to know that question. Oh, I have we, not. We barely got to this one hour later in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, you did good. I wouldn't be thinking about it. I'd be like, dude, there's too much to deal with. I know yeah. the, the reality of it. Like <laughs> sexuality would be like 25th out of the whole list, you know? <laughs> yeah so i mean it's different for everybody i have not dipped my toe into the dating pool i I, there's a lot of reasons for that one is i'm just like who wants to take on this like circus that i've got going on i'm barely juggling what i have to juggle and so then like dating and juggling a person who has other needs it doesn't appeal to me right now yeah Yeah. A, a lot of people it it what they want and what they need and for some people they never get there my policy what i say is that i'm not ruling out that i will find another relationship um but i am also not actively trying to find a person Mm -hmm. right now so i am that's where i am if somebody asked me on a date they would have to not be old and yucky and seem like a normal person and maybe i would go i don't know even that makes me feel a little scared (laughs) 
oh, not God. old and yucky. Yeah. Yep. No <laughs> old criteria. Right yeah. You're like, I'm fit. Yeah. yeah. No, you do You gotta keep up. No NFL Sunday Sunday bellies. You know you want. <laughs> I need a Hallmark movie is what I need. That's what I'm going for. But... You're oh dude. You need yeah, like your life so far, I'm like, you you got some good shit coming. Because you have paid your dues. I'll tell you what, Anita. Like, I'm like, give this girl. Go buy a lottery ticket. Go. You know, though, <laughs> it's not how it works. So if it were, that would be great. But I also had, like, such a great and happy life before Jason died. Like, I, we used to call it the salad days. It was just, like, everything was the best. And so I think it probably weighs out. It evens out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I, your, your life is a movie. It really is for all the shit you went through. Oh my through, God, like, yes. You're the next lifetime movie. Yeah. Shit, for real. My podcast host, co-host and I, Mel, we always joke that, um, whether it's a Hallmark or a lifetime movie, like what, what's it going to be? Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, there's a lot to your life and it, you know, there I'm reading, you know, as a human being, you know, what's my, my purpose outside, you know, this earth. And a lot of it's like, oh, you know, all the, all the stuff that happens to you, you know, like I've, it says you, you chose this, this journey. you like, you had to learn your lessons. I'm like, damn girl, if that's for real, you signed up. You're like, I'm going to do the triathlete of life. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm yes. going to triathlete the, the shit out of this life. That's what you're doing. Yeah, right totally. Now. Totally. I used to say, I was like, who did I piss off? Like, what? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Sorry. I repent. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Should, oh my we, God. should we get to the last three questions? Yeah, let's okay, get to the last so three. So we have these three questions that we ask every guest. Um, these are meant to be answered in like a quick one minute. Okay. And... The first one is what's your baggage? So like what's the baggage the that you're constantly working on? Uh being the parent by myself, the solo parent, I am always like just beating myself up about when I do it wrong, which is all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's that's hard, man. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. worst. Yeah. Yeah, we beat ourselves up. We're the worst critics of our whole life, I yeah. swear. Yeah. It's it's hard. It is. I imagine. Um, what or who inspires you? Oh, you said these <laughs> questions to me before, so I should have like come up with a good answer, but I didn't. That's okay. We like the um, on the spot answers. Yeah. Remember, there's no hierarchy. So if something's in your heart now that inspires you, roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I am honestly inspired a lot by the widows and the widowers that we get to interact with. There are so many horrible stories. There are a lot of stories that make mine sound really easy and what? everybody just keeps going. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Terrible, yeah. terrible stories. And they, everybody just does their best and they keep marching forward. And it's honestly amazing. Like humans are kind of crazy. Yeah. Final answer. Yeah. Okay, that's perfect. a good one. Last one. Okay, so when did you fuck up as a mom recently or just any <laughs> any time that you thought, like a specific one, oh, and what did you learn from it? I do not know that I can come up with a specific one because it's like a daily occurrence where I say something terrible to my kids, like, or I'll yell at them, and then mm -hmm. I think, I'm supposed to be the adult in this situation, and <sighs> I'm not. Yep. Or I am terrible about using shame 
I'll say something like, you know, you're supposed to be 13 or whatever. You're supposed to be. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, no, like we're not doing that anymore. Anita, mm. in this day and age. And I have to like stop myself and, and try and, and do better. But it's hard. It's so hard. It to, it's to hard to reprogram it. ourselves too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And it's really funny. And this is no shame to my mom, but my mom will come over here and I'll hear her talking to my kids. And I'm like, I sound the exact same. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I came like from that same schooling. tone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's very weird. <laughs> but don't you feel like when you do hear that, you kind of like get a little like tool in your pocket where you're like, all right. Yes. In the next half of this day, I will. It's like a mindfulness of like, okay, I will not do that mm -hmm. when you yes. get that example, right? <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm not going to use that that was used on me. I'm going to yes. try and do it better. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, man. I know you don't want, to, I know you've been through the ringer and that life is not perfect for you and you're a real mom and you do real shit and you've gone through it, but I, you still inspire me. Like yeah. I would have oh, We're allowed able, to say that you inspire you, us. You're allowed yeah. to accept yeah. Yeah. that you inspire me. Yeah, of course. Sure. <laughs> and you, I just, I would just barely, I have to admit that I was holding back tears when you were saying your story. Um, oh. And I will think of you a lot and your family. Okay. Okay, I hope it's in like a good way. I hope you're like yeah. oh, sending yeah. you love and just okay. encouragement and hoping that your guys' day goes as smoothly as possible. And if not, you know, finding the moments that are, are amazing for you guys. Awesome. That's yeah. so great. Thank you guys. And thank you. <laughs> thank you, Anita. Okay. If you'd like to keep up with the latest, see more shenanigans, or just connect with us, go to Instagram where you'll find us at Real Motherfuckers Podcast. And also, if you'd like to see some real juicy mama boobs, you can see it in action on YouTube, also at Real Motherfuckers Podcast. And enough with the free Costco samples. You can start paying up. Actually, you can also just support us monetarily on Patreon, where you'll get some more cool exclusive content. And you can find us there at Real Motherfucker fuckers podcast <laughs> we fuck up on this show yeah. nothing's perfect hence the name <laughs>